good to see your bright and smiling faces as we get prepared for Christmas and we start our new teaching series next week called Gladdening Light. And as we wrap up our teaching series from last week called At the Table, we studied the different appointed times or Jewish feasts in the Old Testament and how that relates to Christ. And it has been fascinating for me personally. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have, but I have been so looking forward to today. And let me kind of tell you a little bit of back history, and then I'm going to introduce our speaker this morning. Um, 20-something years ago, I had the opportunity to serve as a student pastor at a church in South Georgia. And while we were there, the pastor, and look, guys, I grew up as Baptist as you could get. I never heard of such things as I'm about to tell you. And he introduced us to something called the Seder Meal, and he brought an organization in called Jews for Jesus. And this was the start of my education. Jews for Jesus is a ministry that's been around for decades and decades. That heartbeat is to share the love of Christ and the gospel message to Jews around the world. But one of their ministries is also to educate and share the love of Christ with all people, especially the church, and helping them understand things. And so after that, it began a journey for me to begin to make the connections and uh, you'll hear more about this on our podcast tomorrow morning I'm interviewing our guest speaker as well but this morning we have one of these special missionaries and his wife both of them are missionaries I I know my wife and I've been missionaries before and it's usually the pastor and his wife no it's both of them are missionaries they're both called to this ministry Miss Ruth and Mr. Avi and he's going to come this morning and he's with this organization and he is over the European the European theater of reaching people for Christ, specifically Jews around the world. He'll share more about that, but they have ministries in Ukraine, Belarus, Russia, and trying to get into Poland. That's something you can pray for as well. But this morning, he's coming to share with us his heart for the gospel, but also we've all heard the word Hanukkah before, right? But I've never really understood what it means. Have you? And he's going to make those connections for us about Christ in the Hanukkah, what that means, and uh, what they call also the Feast of Dedication. You'll see that in the New Testament as well. And this morning, we get to have him and his wonderful life visit, wife visit with us. I want to make sure you step, step in the foyer as you leave and look at the resource table he's brought with him, as well as in your worship folder, you have an insert telling more about the organization, as well as a QR code. And you can go to that QR code, be a supporter of Jews for Jesus, as well as get their information and prayer letter as well. But if you guys would give a warm River Hills welcome to Mr. Avi. Mr. Avi, come on up. So grateful that you're here this morning. Thank you. It's and good I want to be pray here. for you before you get started. Please. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing through this incredible ministry and what you've done for so long. And I pray, God, that you would move this morning and speak to us in a very powerful way through Avi. Thank you for his testimony. Thank you for what you've done in his life and continue to do in he and Miss Ruth's life. And I pray, God, that you would work. And I pray, God, that this morning that you would overwhelm us with your grace in the message of your gospel. We pray, Father, very specifically as they are looking to begin to do ministry and start start mission work in Poland, that you would open up those doors in a powerful way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Chip. Well, good morning. Shalom. I'm going to try it again. Wait for me. Shalom. There you go. Now you know how to make a nice Jewish boy feel like he's right at home. <laughs> I do feel very much at home uh, 
I'm very grateful to you, Pastor, for inviting me to come. I, I hope you won't regret the decision after I finish speaking. <laughs> it's good to see all of you. My wife, Ruth, and I, as Pastor Chip mentioned, are with a ministry called Juice for Jesus. I'm curious, have any of you ever heard of Juice for Jesus before? Sometimes people ask me, how long has Juice for Jesus been around? I like to say, oh, about 2,000 years. Is there... People forget that all of the first Christians were us Jews. People forget that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah as well as the Savior of the world. People forget that all of the first missionaries were us Jews. That's who and what we Jews for Jesus are. We're missionaries. This ministry actually began um, almost 50 years ago. Next year we'll be celebrating our 50th anniversary. Um, we started in the States. Now, by God's grace, we have uh, missionaries in uh, 12 countries around the world. As Pastor mentioned, um, I have the privilege of being the European Ambassador of Jews for Jesus. I oversee um, the work. Uh, my main focus is in um, Central and Eastern Europe, where Ruth and I have lived for a number of decades. We're both American-born, but um, and we had the privilege of building up the work in Los Angeles for a number of years. And then, uh, as the Soviet Union started to fall apart, we decided to move to the Soviet Union. It was funny, all of our people were trying to get out of the Soviet Union, so we moved into the Soviet Union. And it was an extremely fruitful time. Altogether, we've lived, let's see, we lived in uh, Ukraine, Russia, UK, uh, Germany, Hungary. Be easier if I just paid the rent, but uh, <laughs> no, not really. Anyway, later on, I want to tell you about the work that's going on, especially in Central and Eastern Europe because I want you to pray for us. My colleagues and I can't do what we do unless brothers and sisters in Christ like you are praying for us. That's the equation. You pray, we proclaim, people come to faith. That's the equation. Uh, but right now, I want to share with you a little bit about Hanukkah, um, called the Feast of the Dedication, called the Feast of Lights. You know, there's only one place in the entire Bible where the festival of Hanukkah is mentioned. And it's not in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. It's the only place where it's mentioned. Why not in the Old Testament? Well, because the events that uh, surround the, uh, the holiday of Hanukkah all took place after the Old Testament canon, after the Hebrew Scripture canon was closed. Events that took place around 160-something uh, B.C. So the only place it's mentioned is in the Gospel of John, chapter 10. And that's what I want to look at with you today. First, I need to give you a little bit of background, so you bear with me, okay? I'll, uh, I'll acquaint you with the holiday itself, and then we'll look at the text. Actually, why don't you open up? Um, we'll, um, we'll take a look at, uh, at the beginning text, John chapter 10. Follow along as I read, which is John chapter 10, beginning at verse 22. We'll just look at the first couple of verses. 22 says, At that time, the Feast of the Dedication took place at Jerusalem. In Hebrew, the Feast of Dedication is Chag Chanukah. 
Verse 23, it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. Let me explain the, um, the background so that you understand everything else that happened in this text that we're going to look at. Um, there was a Syrian Greek tyrant named Antiochus Epiphanes IV who was ruling over the entire region, including ancient Israel. And he was not a nice guy. <laughs> he didn't like us Jews. Um, he outlawed Jewish worship. He desecrated the temple in Jerusalem by sacrificing a pig on the altar. Not a very kosher thing to do. And he declared himself to be God in the flesh, and he demanded that people worship him. And so when it got to be too much, a man named Mattathias Maccabee raised up, he slew one of the emissaries of the king, and that started what we call the Maccabean Revolt. Um, the rallying cry of the Maccabees, of the whole family was, if you are loyal to God, follow me. That was the rallying cry of Hanukkah. And after feeding Antiochus and dispelling the uh, Syrio-Greeks, they recaptured Jerusalem, they built a new altar, they cleansed the temple, and they wanted to rededicate the temple. Now, according to tradition, they discovered that there was only enough consecrated oil to keep the lights burning, the consecrated lights burning, for one night. But rather than wait to get fresh oil, which would take eight days, they decided to light the lights anyway. And according to tradition, miraculously, the lights in the temple, in the menorah, in the, uh, the candelabrum, burned for eight nights instead of one. And so we celebrate Hanukkah for eight nights, and it's called the Festival of Lights. In reality, what probably happened in history was this. Um, the events took place, the rededication took place around December time. And they decided to rededicate the temple and to celebrate Sukkot out of season. It should have been celebrated in October. But Sukkot was when the first temple had been dedicated. Sukkot was when the second temple had been dedicated, when we came out of the Babylonian captivity. And so they probably decided, we don't care if it's out of season. <laughs> We're rededicating the temple and the altar. We're going to celebrate Sukkot now. And Sukkot is an eight-day holiday. That's probably the reality behind it. So we call it the Feast of the Dedication. Now, take a look at the text with me, would you? Because what we see here is a series of confrontations. Jesus, you know, we have a picture of Jesus being you know, this very nice, mild, pleasant uh, person who doesn't want to make any waves. That's the wrong Jesus. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. Certainly not the Jewish Jesus. I want to show you how deliberately confrontational our Messiah was and still is to this very day. And this is a great text uh, to show you that. Um, Follow along. For the sake of time, we're going to work through the passage, all right? So, picking up in verse 24, we read, The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, if you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, but you do not believe. 
The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. What was the problem? Well, we're all in suspense. We come to him and we say, stop keeping us in suspense any longer. Tell us plainly if you're the Messiah. And what's his reply? His reply is, I told you. The problem isn't that I haven't told you, he says. The problem is that you don't believe. <laughs> Listen to verse 25 again. I told you and you would not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. How had he told us? How had he told us that he was the Messiah? He had told us with his words. Do you remember um, in John chapter 4, he's speaking to a woman, and she says, um, from Samaria, she says, well, you know, when the Messiah comes, we'll, we'll, we'll understand all these things. And he says, I who speak to you am he. In John chapter 6, um, a very provocative passage, we're struggling with his claims. And he says to us, very simply, uh, to paraphrase, he says, well, you know, what if you see the Son of Man ascending from where he descended? That's a direct reference to Daniel chapter 7, where the Son of Man has been given all power, all authority in heaven, and he descends on the clouds. And he's calling himself that Son of Man, a divine Messiah. In John chapter 9, he heals a man who's been born blind, and then the man is cast out, and Jesus finds him, and he says, do you believe in the Son of God? And he says, show me who he is, and I'll believe. And he says, you've seen him, and the one who's speaking to you is him. There was no lack of instances when, when Yeshua, when Jesus told us plainly who he was. He told us with his words. He told us with his works. Do you remember when John the Baptist is in prison and he's struggling and he sends two of his disciples to Jesus with a question, a very naked question. Are you the Messiah or are we waiting for somebody else? And do you remember what Jesus says? He says, tell John, the blind receive their sight. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. All pointing to his miracles, which are messianic miracles. He told us with his words. He told us with his works. The problem wasn't that he hadn't told us. The problem was something different. Verses 25 and 26. Listen again to what Jesus says when he diagnoses the problem. He says, I told you, but you would not believe me. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe me because you are not of my sheep. It wasn't a lack of faith. It wasn't a lack of uh, evidence. It was a lack of faith. I remember one time in Berlin, I was handing out uh, tracts, and this uh, young man comes up to me tall young man <laughs> and uh, he smiles and he, he starts conversation by saying I want you to know that um, I'm a scientist and I'm an anti-theist not just an atheist an anti-theist I said okay he said let me ask you a question I said alright he said you know we know from science that uh, the human race is probably one or two hundred thousand years old uh, scripture says that uh, the human race is maybe uh 10,000 years old. So my question to you is, uh, why was God silent?
for all those hundreds of thousands of years? Why did he wait all those hundreds of thousands of years before he started speaking to human beings? I said, what do you care? You're an anti-theist. <laughs> I said, why don't you ask me a question that you really want an answer to? He said, well, you know, I would uh, consider the claims of the Bible if there was compelling evidence. I said, no, you wouldn't. He said, yes, I would. I said, no, you wouldn't. I said, you wouldn't believe because you are convinced already. Therefore, there is no compelling evidence. Whatever evidence that's presented to you will not be sufficient for one reason, because you have already made up your mind. That's a closed issue for you. But don't lie to me and don't lie to yourself and pretend that you'd be influenced by compelling evidence. There is no compelling evidence for you. It's a done deal, isn't it? This problem of, uh, of compelling evidence is common today. People will, will fall back and say, well, you know, show me. <laughs> it doesn't matter what's shown if there's an unwillingness to believe. The problem is not a lack of evidence, brothers and sisters. The problem is a closed heart. The problem is an unwillingness to believe, usually because of the cost of believing. So let me carry on. Yeshua then gives a description of those um, who do believe. Verse 27. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Yeshua describes those who believe by saying they hear his voice, they know him. In other words, they have a personal relationship with him, not just an intellectual grasp of the truth, but they have a personal relationship with him, and they follow him. Now, what does that mean? This is where a lot of us stumble. We're not saved because of what we do, but if we are saved, it should be demonstrated by the fact that we follow him. Follow him how? Well, he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. What commandments? Oh, just two, really. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Okay, that's pretty good. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. Uh, <laughs> Can we just have the one without the other? No. Now, it's a process, right? And he who began a good work in us will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. But if we are not committed, if we're not committed to having him do the work where, by the power of his spirit, we love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love our neighbors as we love ourselves, if we're not committed to that process, to him doing that process in our life, then we really need to ask ourselves a serious question about the nature of our faith. Is it faith or is it just intellectual belief? I remember when I first started sending teams into Germany in the 90s. I remember at a, a leadership meeting, a friend of mine, a man I discipled, he came over to me he said, he said, Avi, I just don't get it. I said, you don't get what? He said, I don't get it. How can you send teams into Germany? Have you forgotten? I said, I haven't forgotten anything. 
She said, how can you do that? How can you send teams to Germany? Do you ever have one of those moments when you know you're going to say the right thing? Um, you, you remember these moments because they're, they're so rare. <laughs> you know? I knew I was going to say the exact right thing. I said, you know, Andrew, um, if I don't have a burden for Germany, for the German people as well as the Jewish people returning to Germany, if I don't have a burden for Germany, then maybe the gospel isn't real to me. He said, what does that mean? I said, Andrew, Jesus didn't die for me because I was his friend. He died for me because I was his enemy. That's the whole point of the gospel. And he calls us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, even those who in the flesh we hate. And if we're not willing to have God change our hearts and do work in our lives, we really need to ask ourselves a hard question about the nature of our faith. Is it faith or is it intellectual belief? I feel that we Jews have a moral obligation. We Jews who believe in Jesus, we have a moral obligation to return to the countries where we died proclaiming God's message of life. We've launched a program called Life from the Dead. The first country on that, on that radar screen is Poland. Three and a half million of us died from that country. Last summer, we had an outreach in Warsaw, Poland. If you know anything about the history, I won't go into it. But for us Jews to come back to Warsaw, where so many of us died, proclaiming God's message of life is life from the dead, and for us to stand shoulder to shoulder with our brothers and sisters in Christ, what a testimony of the love of God. What a testimony of the reality of the reconciling power of the cross. We had a team in Warsaw, Poland of Jews, Poles, Germans, Hungarians, post-Soviets in the flesh. You can't get that group of people together in the same room. But in Christ... We can not only be friends, we're family. That's the point of the gospel. He calls us to follow, to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And Yeshua describes the blessing he bestows upon those who believe and follow. He says he gives them the gift of eternal life, he gives them the certainty of the forgiveness of their sins in Mark chapter 4. He gives them the guarantee that nothing and no one can ever separate us from him or his love. Paul wrote, neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what he gives us. That's what he promises us as we follow him.
Now we come to the second confrontation in this text. Verses 30 through 38. Let me read the whole text and break it down for you. May I? How are we doing on time? Oh, doing okay. Verse 30. Well, I'll start with um, verse 29. My Father who, give, who give, has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. Jesus answered them, Has it not been written to you in your law, I said you were gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know that I am so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Had Jesus stopped at simply pointing out the evidence that he'd given us, we could have dealt with that. But he deliberately says a statement that is extremely provocative. He says in verse 31, I and the Father are one. And we sought to stone him. He deliberately inflamed the situation. He deliberately provoked us. He deliberately incensed the crowd by uttering the one statement in the one place, the temple area, at the one time, Hanukkah, the Feast of the Dedication, when we had gathered to celebrate our victory over the tyrant who had desecrated that holy site and had claimed to be God in the flesh. And Jesus, standing on that ground, says, I and the Father are one. A deliberate provocation. And we responded the way we should have responded. We were incensed. All heaven broke loose. <laughs> And we picked up stones to stone me. He said, for what good work are you stoning me? We said, we know for no good work, but because you, a man, claimed to be God, blasphemy. We understood exactly what he was saying. Here's the problem, brothers and sisters. If Jesus was not who he claimed to be, he deserved to be stoned. That was blasphemy. But if he is who he claimed to be, then the response had to be one of worship and adoration. <sighs> There's no neutral ground in the gospel message. If Jesus is not who we claim to be, no one should worship him. No one should adore him. No one should bow to him. If Jesus is not who we claim to be, then I, as a Jew, to worship him, am committing blasphemy. And you, as a Gentile, are committing idolatry. And both of us will be judged eternally by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See, there's no middle ground here. Either Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be, and we must all worship him. 
or Jesus is an imposter, and none of us should have anything to do with him. See how provocative all this stuff is? Pretty bad, huh? Let me wrap this up. The problem was never a lack of evidence. The problem today is not a lack of evidence. The problem is an unwillingness to believe. I don't know you, you don't know me. I don't know your stories. You don't know my stories. Perhaps, perhaps like some of my ancestors, you're saying to the Lord, don't keep me in suspense any longer. Just tell me plainly, are you the Christ or not? And you know what he's saying to you? He's saying with a voice of love, he's saying, I told you. I told you. I've told you with my words. I've told you with my works. I don't know what Jesus has done in your life. You know what Jesus has done in your life. And you know that you can't ascribe that to someone else. He's told you. You've heard his voice. He wants you to know him. He wants you to receive his pardon for your sins. He wants you to enjoy an everlasting relationship with him. He wants you to become one of his sheep whom no one, no one will ever be able to snatch out of your hands. But you need to repent. You need to forsake your sins. You need to believe that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. You need to humble your heart and ask him to forgive you for your rebellion, for the pain that your rebellion caused him to endure. And you need to commit to following him, to letting him do that work in your life so that the day will come when you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and so that you love your neighbor as you love yourself. For those of you who believe, praise God that you believe. Are you following him? He wants you to live for him. He wants you to go where he's called you to go. He wants you to do what he's calling you to do. For those of you who don't yet know him, come out of the shadows. Believe, follow, and walk in the light of Hanukkah. Walk in the light of life. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I pray for myself that you would always give us the strength and the courage to follow you. I pray for any here who don't yet know you in a personal way. Lord, may this be the day when they give their hearts to you. In Yeshua's name, amen. Before I go, I want to take just two more minutes, if I may. Um, I want to tell you how you can be praying for us. In fact, can, can we bring up that QR code uh, for those of you who are online? On, on your bulletin, you've got a QR code that you can uh, scan. There's also a, a card on the inside. If you like filling things out with paper, you can fill out this card and, and give it to me or give it to my wife, Ruth, at the end of the service. Let me send you our prayer letter. It's free. I said before, we can't do what we do unless brothers and sisters like you are praying for us.
There's another way you can stand with me. Uh, let us choose for Jesus help you. Uh, I brought some literature with me. This is going to sound terribly pretentious. I want to plug two of my books. Um, one book is called Jews Don't Need Jesus and Other Misconceptions because there are many uh, Christians who claim to love my people, but they've bought the lie that we Jews don't need Jesus. Listen to me. If you love my people and you're not praying for my people's salvation, you're loving us insufficiently. Paul said, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they'll be saved. Um, another book is called Never Ashamed. It's mostly stories, my stories, stories of my colleagues, in, um, mostly in Central and Eastern Europe. If you, if you read those stories, you'll understand my heartbeat. You'll understand the driving heartbeat of my brothers and sisters, why we cannot be silent, and why we will never be ashamed. Music